0: To listen to a special preview edition of the Grant Williams podcast featuring my very dear friend Simon Hunt of Simon Hunt Strategic Services. Simon uh, has been traveling to China for gosh 30, 40 years now, multiple times a year. He hasn't been for a while because of COVID, but he's always fascinating to talk to, not just about China and what's happening over there, but also big picture ideas big cycles and global macro events that for many people sometimes seem implausible or highly unlikely. Simon is always a great person to, to kick these ideas around with. Um, he's also one of the most phenomenally well-connected people I've ever come across in multiple areas right across the world. And this just seemed like a very good time to have a conversation with him. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The End Game, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom, and Shifts Happen, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website grant-williams.com copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter things that make you go hmm so if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high quality content like it then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today and now on with the show Well, Simon, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. It's
1: uh, it's always delightful to see you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Excellent. I can remember, and I've forgotten how many years ago, when we first did this podcast in the St. Regis Hotel in Singapore.
0: In Singapore, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it wasn't a podcast back then, but that was, gosh, nine years ago, maybe now. Yeah, I mean, I've completely lost track of time. No, I know. I know it, it does. seem But uh, look, the world, the world keeps turning and the, uh, the intrigue keeps mounting. And so I thought this was a great time to um, sit and have a chat with you about your thoughts on where we are kind of for the rest of this year, because I know you, know, you don't take a, a short term view like a lot of people do. You're, you're very much a big picture thinker. So let's start with just your thoughts on the big global macro picture for the rest of this year. And then I want to dig into China and your latest experiences there.
1: Wow. Big question.
0: Yeah, well, I think if I start with the big question, we can always narrow it down as we go along.
1: (laughs) I think the first point one should make, that one has to throw away all the old models based on fiscal and monetary policies, because the real change is war. The de facto war is soon going to turn into an actual war, and that's going to have implications on all markets. It means that inflation is not going to be falling, it's transitory only, that since uh, 2015, the world's broad money has exceeded the value of GDP by over $200 trillion. So that continues to work its way through the system. And then we're going to get uh, energy shocks. We're going to see oil prices probably rising to 150 bucks this year and between 150 and 200 next year. And the reason for that is China reopening, more supply disruptions, and OPEC, no longer supporting the needs of Western Europe and America, but seeing that prices actually reflect the real supply and demand. And then the final kicker is going to be food prices. And that's going to be not only a product of um, fertilizers, et cetera, and grains, et cetera, falling again significantly out of Ukraine and Russia, but weather patterns. What is likely to emerge later this year according to my friend, uh, Sean Hackett, is the 89-year-Glesburg cycle, which last resulted in the US Midwest's drought bell that occurred in the 1930s decade. So this obviously will have huge implications on monetary and fiscal policies. We will see 10-year treasuries rising sharply, more late this year and in 2024 now in price or yield i presume you're talking yield 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 sorry okay okay yeah yield, just check yield so we've got by 2026 for instance 10 uh, year treasuries yielding over 10% and maybe as high as 12% and that's of course going to kill off a lot of the highly leveraged global system and in our view that's what will lead to a depression starting in or around 2025 add on to the impact of war and that's what we're gonna see
0: well look we we started with a big question <laughs> and, uh, and and look, and this is why I love talking to you because um, you know you think about these things and you're willing to entertain possibilities and probabilities that a lot of people just write off as uh, as just too big for them to get their heads around and so it's always it's always fun to kick these things around with you so let, let's start with uh, war because that's where you started you know obviously we've seen the war in Europe, between Ukraine and Russia. And apart from the initial shock and the initial upheaval in energy prices, we've really seen not much, right? I mean, it's kind of, it's in the papers every day, but I'm sure most people have stopped reading about it now because it's just kind of one of those things that's omnipresent now. It just carries on in the background kind of thing. Asset markets are far more concerned about interest rates than they are about the war. Supply chains have started to normalize. Energy prices have come way back down again. So let's talk about the kind of war that you described at the beginning there, because that sounds like a much broader and much more kind of all-encompassing conflict.
1: Well let me answer that question by paraphrasing what Colonel Douglas McGregor said in in an interview uh, on Wednesday. And I find that he talks much more sense than the whole of the intelligence and Defense apparatus uh, in in the Western Alliance. He basically said that a friend of his just back from Moscow, reporting that Russia is preparing for a war against America and NATO countries that will last at least thirty months. And when you look at the dots that are being built up, it makes all make sense. Russia is, uh, according to reports that I read, uh, has accumulated something of the order of. 700,000 military personnel around the borders of Ukraine and uh, equal numbers of um, military equipment. And then you hear what um, uh, the West is planning to do with tanks, uh, fighter planes, Poland creating a military force of 250-odd thousand people, rumors of call ups in Germany, etc., etc., etc. So there is obviously a, a, a military build-up which is very likely to spread outside the borders of, um, of Ukraine. When you go back to really what are the, why is Russia so concerned and why is America so concerned, you find that Russia's major concern is security of its borders. In a world where we're going increasingly into hypersonic technology, what worries Russia is the placement of hypersonic missiles on its borders of Ukraine, which would be able to hit uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg and other cities in under three to four minutes. So that's Russia's big concern. And it goes back on, it goes back to the early 1990s when NATO was supposedly a defensive mechanism, but increasingly became an offensive one as it got closer and closer to Russia's borders. And for America, if NATO lost the battle over Ukraine, many countries outside the western alliance will no longer see America as being omnipotent and you'll find then that a lot of those countries will be joining brics plus i mean i had a a meeting with a number of interesting stroke informed guys here yesterday in dubai and the conversation was at a starbucks perfectly relaxed chatting away every single one of them was talking about de-dollarization and uh, the use of gold as a medium of exchange in one form or another uh, each one had a, a different answer but it all came down to one conclusion de-dollarization and gold coming back as a medium of exchange not just as an asset value
0: well let me, hang on, let, me let me let's let's pause there I, I just want to go back let's let's talk about this conflict because one would have to say that for russia to be preparing to take on the us and nato when it is struggling to make inroads in Ukraine would seem to be... Well,
1: that is a quest- That is a, a well, big well, question,
0: Mark. I think when Russia first went into Ukraine, if you'd have polled people and said, will this war still be going on a year hence, people would have said there's no chance of that, right? Something, either Russia will get a quick win or Russia will get concessions and back down. The fact that the conflict is still going on It certainly surprises me. It surprises most people I talk to. And just picturing Russia, let's put nukes aside, because obviously that changes all the calculations, and maybe we'll come back to that in a second. But if you want to engage in a conflict with the whole of NATO, it seems a real stretch for me to think that Russia would have any chance, based on what we have seen in Ukraine, of winning a conflict like that. We could have a stalemate, I guess, but ultimately... There is an awful lot more firepower that can be brought to bear from the West if it was actively engaged in a face-to-face war with Russia, rather than some kind of half-assed proxy war where we'll send you a couple of tanks, maybe, but we don't really want to because it doesn't look good. And you know, if if this d- develops into a, a wider conflict, it's very difficult for me to see how Russia. Comes out of that as the winner, unless we get into a nuclear confrontation, and even even then, I, I don't think that's something Russia wins. Am I wrong? You're seldom wrong, but I
1: think you are on this occasion. Okay, great. <laughs> I, I love being wrong because I, I didn't find out why. So tell me why. Uh, first of all, Russia's initial entry into Ukraine was with kid gloves. I think their intelligence was completely misinformed. Uh, this is I, this is not me talking. I'm paraphrasing what the experts that I listen to tell me. That we're all Slavs. We don't want to kill anybody. Uh, we went in hoping that Ukraine would support us and uh, we would have a uh, an easy victory, etc. But what was forgotten by whoever in in Moscow was that since 2014, NATO had built up at least a military-trained Ukrainian force of some 250,000. Established massive defence positions, threw in a lot of um, military equipment, etc. So the initial entry into uh, Ukraine was um, disaster is too strong a word, but Russia met more setbacks than they were than they had planned for. I mean, it was only in the last maybe six months or so that the kid gloves have come off and. Uh,
0: full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website grant-williams.com nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice this conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only so while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets